You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, what's up? Just a quick reminder if you have not already figured it out, The Grit with Chaz Smith has been migrated over onto its own feed. So open up your podcast app, search for The Grit, and then subscribe to the show there. That's the only place you can now find it. I'm revitalizing the debate format. Next week, we're going to have Devin Howard steps in the ring against Chaz Smith. We're going to talk eggs. We're going to talk foiling. We're going to talk longboard tour, all sorts of stuff. So look forward to that next week on The Grit. But again, you can only find it on its own podcast feed. So you have to subscribe to that show in addition to this show. All right, that'll go live Monday, March 19th. So look forward to that and enjoy today's show. And and it's just crazy to think back 21 years ago and think, wow, I mean, at 10 years old, I had a goal to, to simply surf, but that thing manifested into a career that most of my teachers were slapping me on the wrist saying I was a fool to follow, that there was no future in. And that was the voice of Alex Gray telling us about how he remembers the very first wave he ever rode and how it dictated the rest of his life and career path. Alex's career has been supported by Spy. He's one of their athletes along with Coco and Mason Ho, and they've also made today's show possible. Thank you, Spy. Spy has pioneered a lens technology that lets the good light in and blocks the bad light out. It's called the Happy Lens. So I'm having Alex share a couple of happy stories. And of course, the first wave dictating his life in surfing was one of his happiest memories ever. I mean, it was at home in the little shore break of L.A. that... I grew up in, my dad pushed me into it. He didn't surf. He was just supporting his kids doing a new sport. Up until that point, I was nine years old and played football, basketball, baseball, soccer. I mean, between Saturday and Sunday, we were going to like four different tournaments of sports. And skateboarding came around and that was fun. But when surfing happened, it's like my world changed. And I'm just grateful for that that session at frickin' nine years old. (laughs) Alex will be back later in the show to tell us about that specific first wave and the board that he wrote it on. And it's all made possible by Spy. Spyoptic.com. Check out their happy lens and make sure to use the promo code podcast so that they can track our partnership. And when you use that code, you'll get our free limited edition Surf Splendor sunglass baggie. And they'll also throw in a free t-shirt. You need to add that t-shirt to your cart. So just find one on their site that you like, add it to your cart, your appropriate size with your sunglasses. And when you enter the promo code podcast, it'll zero out the cost of that t-shirt. Real simple. All right. Thank you for the support. And thank you to spy spyoptic.com. Hello and welcome back to the show. Today's episode is with consummate craftsman, tinkerer, and surfboard builder, Josh Martin. Josh has been one of the more requested interviews, um, but it must be from newer listeners to the show because I interviewed Josh once before. 
It was a long time ago. It was episode number 31. I think I reference it in today's conversation with Josh as episode 33, but it was actually episode 31. And uh, I've posted a link to that episode in today's show notes. So if you want to check that out, simple, just click over. And um, I remember, I haven't listened back to it yet, but I remember that we wove in some audio from Josh's father that was actually recorded in an interview that surfboard shaper Donald Brink had conducted with Josh's father, Terry Martin. So just hearing Terry Martin's audio would be worth listening to um, all by itself. So if you're not familiar, Josh comes from quite a legacy of board building. His uncle is Mickey Munoz, and then his father is the aforementioned Terry Martin. Terry was synonymous with Hobie surfboards, And if you own a Hobie from the late 60s through the early 2000s, there's a good chance that if Terry himself didn't shape it, then he definitely oversaw production of it. He's credited with shaping more surfboards than any other human on Earth. The encyclopedia has it approximated at 80,000. I've heard it's closer to 100,000. It's really difficult to track because... Terry was a pretty humble dude, and he often didn't even sign the bottom of the surfboards. But he was shaping up to 10 boards a day, by hand, up to five days a week for 40-plus years. So it's a huge number that, through today's kind of methods of shaping boards, just really won't ever be rivaled again. It's likely that Terry will maintain that status um, in perpetuity forever. So... Anyway, Josh Martin has done a great job carrying on the essence of his father's legacy. He isn't even attempting to build as many boards as his father did, but he builds with the same passion for the craft and the same spirit, focused on fun, always keeping the humanity at the center of every build, often invites surfers into the shaping bay to help him build the board, learn the process, and this motto spills over into social media too. I've seen Josh Martin responding to each individual comment on his post sometimes they're 300 comments deep and he's just chiming back and forth with people so really good dude fantastic craftsman with all sorts of materials not just surfboards and it turns out he's also a phenomenal storyteller something i'm afraid i might have stepped on in our um, first interview that i did with him just out of inexperience and eagerness on my behalf So this time, I just kind of backed off, I let him roll, and uh, Josh brought the goods. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Josh Martin. This is, of course, David Scales for Surf Splendor. I'll be back mid-show with Alex Gray, and then at the end of the show again, um, to sign off my conversation here with Josh Martin. All right? Thanks. Uh, well, Joshua Martin, I'll give you a proper introduction in post, but um, so we can just keep this conversational. Don't need to keep okay. it too far. Are we live? Or? We are live. So, Joshua, really? We're live. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to know what today is? Uh, it's the day after National Women's Day or something like that. Or it World, is World Women's Day, International Women's Day, International, is. not just National. Joshua, we honor women throughout the nations. I honor them every day too, so I thought it was ridiculous yesterday. But anyway, I, mean. I, I, I do too. That's how I feel about Valentine's Day too. Yeah, it's like pff, I don't yeah. need to profess my love on one day. Right. We can use this day to reflect on a year, but 
Come on, guys. When I was dating my wife, every Tuesday night, she worked at Marie Callender's, and every Tuesday night, I would go over to Marie Callender's in San Juan Capistrano, and I would leave a handmade card on her windshield of her 1989 Honda Accord. No way. I think it was an LX. <laughs> an LX. Yeah. And I I became known as the Tuesday night card, like, guy. A.K.A. the creepy dude? I wasn't, I didn't start until, well, yeah. I wasn't <laughs> creepy until then. <laughs> By the way, that was the beginning, that was the genesis of Martin's Makings. That card, the handmade card. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, yeah, that was pretty much so that could have been right in there yeah i know my mom and dad were impressed at the time that was at the time when there was before cell phones and i had to when i called i would have to grab the phone off the wall and i'd have to go around the corner and outside in the patio and slide the sliding glass door closed so i could have a conversation with my woman just so for I, a little privacy yes you had to invest in like the 12 foot cord at radio shack yes it was always tangled yeah, yeah. you get wrapped up and my it. dad was grumpy because he was used to having really flexible skill planar cords and he never liked those things he was grumpy at it <laughs> well i'm glad it all worked out between you and heather dude yeah. all those strategies proved to be um very effective yes nicely done my best friend was her boyfriend prior waiting anyway, okay so. <laughs> well let's get into that um <laughs> I like to think of these episodes as therapy sessions, mini therapy sessions. So please, by all means, anything you want to share, sure. expel it right now. Uh, no, today's the four-year anniversary of our first recording together. Really? Okay, I don't know if it's the actual day, but we published that episode together. It was episode 33 for me on March 23rd, 2014, which means we probably recorded it a week or two prior which would be right about now. Oh, wow. So it's almost the four-year anniversary, if not the wow. exact day. It, it seems like a long time ago to me. Right. To yeah, me, me too. It does, yeah. Me too. Yeah. It's crazy. Huh. We've got a lot has happened in that amount of time for both of us. Oh, it's crazy. I remember you asking me Instagram advice at the time, and you... And I was like, and I didn't know much about Instagram either, but I was just like, well, I think you should come up with a strat. I gave you like silly, silly advice. Yeah. And that, and you have, you probably didn't take my advice, but you've run with it. Like you've absolutely yeah. run with the Instagram thing and now um, produce some of the more interesting, compelling videos that mm -hmm. I ever see on Instagram. When I asked listeners what we should talk about, a mm -hmm. lot of the questions were about your Instagram videos. Mm -hmm. Wow. Bravo. Well, it, what's in, you know, gosh, I don't know. One of the guys that, that the guy that actually introduced me to Instagram, I'm, I, I've, okay, so let me back up. MySpace. I remember MySpace. And, you know, I've got two teenage, well, <laughs> I, I'm a grandpa now, so they're not teenagers anymore. But at the time, they were teenage daughters in high school, junior high, I think. Gosh, MySpace. And, I remember that was kind of a hot topic at, with because I had two girls yeah. and they were we had you know an Apple computer one and the whole family and and they were like we want a MySpace page I think they said that maybe I don't know it doesn't matter but MySpace was happening and so then Facebook comes around and my girls get a Facebook they didn't have cell phones 
And they were grumpy about that because they were in high school and they said, we swear we're the only kids in high school and, you know, that don't have cell phones. And we said, we don't have a problem with you getting a cell phone. We just don't want to pay the bill. If you want to get one, then go ahead. Yeah. You know? And they were like, oh, well, you don't want to pay the bill either. And I'm, well, there we go. Even. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, Facebook rolled around. They said, Dad, you're not allowed to have a Facebook. And um, they didn't trust me because I was always playing jokes on them and stuff. So. I didn't have a Facebook and then so I really didn't have any kind of a social media presence at all and I really didn't like being on the computer. I like being outside and hands on and stuff and, and I just just didn't like it. So um the guy that introduced me to Instagram, it's funny, he has a terrible account. Um he said it was the latest, greatest thing when he introduced it to me. And he fell off the map. He, he never posts anything on it. And in fact, last time I talked to him, he said it was for like junior high kids. And so, um, is he, uh, was he using it though to run a business? He was, okay. he'll remain unnamed sure. this individual, but yes. And I think it would have benefited him greatly. And he probably is regretting the fact that he's not continuing to use it. Yeah. But I think he got overwhelmed and, and he saw people taking off with it and he just, he didn't want to run with the big dogs. Like, oh, am I a big dog? Did I just, was that a claim? You did. You claimed it. <laughs> oh, I love you it. couldn't keep up with the, the big, big Josh Martin. Keep, anyway. Um, hilarious. Do you feel overwhelmed by it? Um, no. And I'll tell you why I did it first. I, I felt overwhelmed. Um, but. I looked at it like I took the approach of it's a tool and I recognized the fact that print media, I guess, is that what you call it? I don't know. Magazines, surfer. I was grew yeah. up with surfer magazine and surfing yeah. and, and surface journal and that. So to me, that was my connection with the rest of the surfing world. Um, well, that and being in, in a surf shop a lot. So, um, mm, I realized that that was going to probably go away for the most part and uh, take a back seat to the social media, cyber, whatever you want to call it, um, digital world. And so uh, I viewed it as a tool that it, it was going to be probably smart for me to be on it. And rather, you know, I hear a lot of people, a lot of kids are actually moving away from it now yeah. and they're deleting their accounts and, and it's interesting. I had a conversation with a guy here in my shaping room the other day, and he was really kind of bummed on it. And and I asked him, why are you bummed on it? I'm curious. Yeah. Because I don't think it's going to last forever. And there'll be some new next greatest thing that happens. And so um, he said he felt like it bummed him out to look at it because – look at Instagram because uh, – he felt like he was comparing himself to other people all the time and it and it made him feel bad because he didn't measure up and and i think that's a valid point um and i started thinking about that and i thought well what what are you, what are people communicating and it's kind of a uh you can groom your appearance uh, on instagram you can Fil you know filters and things like that and you can just make stuff look and you just give people the the cream of the the frosting if so you know for lack of a better word and i remember i, I when i started it i thought i don't ever want to post anything that i that i feel like i have to live up to 
or it's going to be work to live up to. I want to just post what is happening, just the, you know, life. And I want it to be relevant to, um, I'm not going to post just pictures of my lunch, for instance. Sometimes I do if I make my lunch, but that's part of making things, you know, and I like to make stuff. So, you know, if it's relatable to what I'm doing and people I think are interested in it, then I'm going to probably share it. And um, what I what I saw it as is a way to be authentic, actually. And it was absolutely the opposite of what a lot of people's perception of it is. And, and when video came around, that overwhelmed me at first. And I thought, you know, uh, wow, now it's video on Instagram. And gosh, I'm trying to do good pictures. And I don't think I'm measuring up there. And how can I do video? And I thought, you know what? It's great. I'm not an editor. I've never had a class in video production. Uh, my brother-in-law was in film and you know i remember he had some big hard drive and it was camcorders and vcr tapes and all this nonsense and now i've got this phone and it's i ah, know it's a tool and um i can create something with my skill planer that's analog and i'm doing analog stuff all day i've got this digital device that can capture that analog stuff really fast free and if I do it in a way that's just spontaneous, I can't really hide anything. And so the more stuff I show, the more authentic it becomes. And, and so um, what I love about the way that you've done it, authenticity, you're right. I didn't think about that. But what I've loved about the way that you've used it is you showcase the process of the, making something. Usually it's oftentimes it's a surfboard. Yeah. And it's like in a 60 second video you've taken me from bringing the blank into the room all the way to the finished process. And uh, it's really impressive. I, I've always been curious. It's for anybody who hasn't seen them. These 60 second videos are a compilation of basically two to three second shots mm -hmm. of each part of the process, mm -hmm. often set to music. Mm -hmm. Often the shots are actually very creative, like mm -hmm. from a art direction standpoint. Um, I've often wondered, does it take you longer to shape the board or to edit the video after the fact? <laughs> One of my most popular videos that I ever posted, I think it got over 100,000 views, um, uh, which I, I think is small, but I'm a small-time guy, so that was big time to me. It's more people it than cool. you know. It was a lot. Yeah. yeah, it was free. I reached a whole lot of people. It was cool. I, 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 don't, should, I don't even know if I should say this. Um, <clears throat> I edited it between... Culver and Lake Forest on the no 405 way. in traffic. No way. It was stop and go traffic. And rather than look at the grass growing in the cracks of the freeway, which I do often in traffic because I'm curious. It's kind of cool. It's just <laughs> perpetually mowed real grass growing there. It's awesome. Anyway, um, I did. I edited it there. And, and so uh, and without any, rear ending anybody or anything, I mean, I did it safe. I didn't, I was hands-on, so that's incriminating, but anyway, so. Stop and go traffic yeah. isn't bad, though. Well, I. I, I approve of that. That's I, ju I, I justified it. So. I agree. It's fine. Okay. All right. Um, so you're able to do it in a short period of time. The yeah. The, the, what I found was is the, the less editing and the more raw and the more rough and the weirder the shots and the more random stuff was the more people like it I, and okay. I, I do too I, i'm like whoa this is behind the scenes stuff b-roll i'd rather 
I, I when I listen to music in here, oftentimes I find myself. I think I've got like a what a I, Apple iTunes whatever account. I can kind of listen to whatever I want. I find myself going on YouTube and streaming like live bootleg videos of stuff because I like live. Me- it's just I'm there. It puts me in the place, and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I. I, I edit and put out what I would want to watch. Yeah. And and so there you go. Good. Well, it's also, I think, just a great showcase of yeah. making the product and then also promoting the product. Yeah. Um, can I ask you how many boards a, a year are you building right now? I don't know. I don't even think about it. I kind of think about what day I'm in <laughs> and what I've got going on. But You're relatively small, though. You're not doing a lot of boards, right? No, I, gosh, I, I don't know. My wife would probably want to know that answer because she, <laughs> <laughs> she actually, this year is the first year she, she made an Excel spreadsheet um, for me. And it's really interesting watching her or try to organize me. Uh, we're a good balance for each other and I uh, appreciate um, her efforts to organize me. It's kind of nice to be able to look at hard facts like that. But I, I don't know. I probably build about three three to four maybe five boards a week okay um sometimes that looks like i'm all week i'm building a wood board and i'm doing maybe one or two shapes in between sometimes i'm doing 10 or maybe 15 polyurethane standard foam boards you know on in a given week but i've mixed it up a lot and uh you know i mean you're we're here in my room right now and you're probably sitting and there's resin i've got foam dust and redwood dust and balsa wood and epoxy and layers and it's it's just classic a little bit of everything because i'm i'm you know this week for instance this weekend i was laminating a board in here and i have a heater in here and this morning when i came in i've been post curing a board all night and it was 100 degrees in here wow um the board up in the driveway that's now finishing post curing in the sun (laughs) so (laughs) solar made um so i i don't know does that answer your question yeah well the reason why i asked um is because with all of the instagram fame I would assume that translates to business at some point and at the you're also somebody who works with your hands and i can see just enjoys building things and probably isn't in a rush to finish them it's like it's going to be done right not fast and so i was curious about the balance between just building things that you really want to build versus fulfilling business obligations and taking orders and that sort of stuff you know yeah uh there's a nice balance right now yeah um i can only build so much stuff um it's kind of interesting because i almost feel like um i'm so prolific in my posting of videos and and that that i probably appear to be extremely busy all the time and never stopping um i'm a pretty easygoing guy and it's I work from home. My wife works from home most days of the week. We're pretty cruising. It's a pretty relaxed pace around here. So while the videos are, and I probably part of it is my editing style. I mean, less than a second is, is better. I think in, in just short, these little clips I put together, it make puts a pretty fast pace to things, but you know, um, and I'm fast shaping surfboards. It takes me an hour to shape a surfboard. So, um, 
but in, on a given day, I might make a few shift knobs. I might make yeah. a couple chopsticks. I might do a board or two. I might work on a, I'll transform my room into a laminating room and laminate a board in the evening. It's easy too, because I don't have to commute very far to work. <laughs> it's right here. So, um, and the other thing too, I've, I've kind of been reevaluating some of my posting habits because I think it gives people the perception of that I'm completely slammed with work and they'll never get a board from me. And the reality of it is, is that um, I'm not not taking orders. Right. So there's a, you know, there's availability there. Yeah. Um, I think what's happened for me is it's been kind of a nice balance of, yes, I do have orders and I've got boards I'm building, but the content to me surfboards are not about it's to me to me it's not about the product it's about the people and the personalities the there's lots of good surfboards yeah. out there there's lots of people that make really good ones and you know there's stuff that's out there that's made on the computer and and cnc cut and mass produced and molded and i don't know i mean you look at a good surfer can ride a piece of plywood right so I'm not, I like to think I make a good surfboard, uh, but the people and the relationships that are built and the long-term lasting um, relationships are more important to me. And that comes with fun content. So when I get, you know, people like Kevin Scarvana, I just recently started working with him on a board and, and he wants to come over here every day in the afternoon and he wants to work with me. He goes, can I watch the whole process from start to finish? That's a gas. I mean, that's really fun in here. To, that's a word my dad used to use. I don't. They don't use it anymore. But a gas. I don't even know why they bring it back. We're gonna bring it back because that, it's laughing gas, right? Uh, maybe that's what it was. A gas. Yeah. You go to the dentist and yeah. you get in. Oh, that was a gas. Oh, it's good. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe anyway. That's what it, where it came from. <laughs> I'm not referring to that. I'm just saying it's a good time. Um, that's kind of like when I was in high school. I used to call girls nectar. That needs to come back. Oh, I'm so, not. I'm not familiar with that nectar? one. Oh man, that girl was nectar. And then there was a surfboard brand. It's an alternative. Yeah, I remember yeah. nectar. The I guess that's an alternative to sweet. Yeah, sweet. Nah, yeah. It's, nectar's way better. It's a yeah. more rich word. Yeah. Um, She's saccharin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no you don't yeah. think that'll catch no, on? I'm not going for that one. Oh. So too much makeup. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So. Uh, where was I going with that? I guess I was going with, um, it's fun to have people, the, the people yeah, relationship and, building. Yeah. So I, I leave this Wednesday to go over to France and, I know. and yeah. I'm stoked. Yeah. That's going to be really fun. And uh, the thing I, I think about is who all is going to come visit me. I get people coming over here from Italy and right. Belgium and I, and I love having them come visit. And so I know they're looking forward to me going over there. Um, I'm looking forward to all the people I get to meet and get them in the shaping bay and let's make some surfboards and let's talk story. And I get to experience perspective, life's perspective from their eyes. And that's an old, it's an old place. Europe isn't thousands of years old. There's, oh, yeah. you know, people can trace their families back to the little villages and there's castles and here, you know, the termites are eating my house and it's not even 30 years old, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, being a guy who makes um, 150 or 200 boards a year, you also work with a number of professional surfers. And 
they ride your boards. So I wanted to talk about kind of the equitability of working with team riders, them promoting your product and how that exchanges and also how it informs your shaping, you know, mm-hmm. getting feedback from an absolute world-class surfer riding your equipment, how that kind of dictates what you're doing in the shaping bay. You work mm-hmm. with Rachel Tilly. Sure. She would probably be your uh, marquee Definitely. surfer. Yep. Former women's world champ. Youngest, I think, ever, yeah. right? Women's youngest, longboard champ. Yeah, youngest world surfing world champ ever. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Beat Kelly. Right. She was 16, right? I don't know if Kelly called her, but he might owe her a phone call. Absolutely. I think so. Was she 16? Uh, 17. 17 when she yeah, won. Yeah, she was 17. And, uh, um, how did that relationship develop with Rachel? She started working with my dad when she was 11 years old. Um, my dad saw a video of her. Uh, I think her dad, Glenn, uh, came to my dad and said, Hey, look, would you be interested in working with, with my daughter? And my dad got a lot of people like that. I mean, the list of people that he made boards for was crazy. And, um, so I think she was riding a Dewey Weber or something like that, a board that probably wasn't an ideal board for her to be riding at the time and she was you know i don't know when the footage was taken she was 10 years old or something like that and he was i've seen the footage and i would have been impressed and he was definitely impressed with her ability to manhandle a board that maybe wasn't the best board for her and he he saw through all that and went well this girl's got really some talent so he started working with her and um they they just, you know, my dad had a, a shaping room in his garage, and that was blue tarp walls and a, and no side lights, just a top light, and uh, that's where I shaped uh, for the majority of my life, and that's where his favorite kind of place to go shape was. It was like this is it's from home. It's great, you know. Um, and Rachel only lived a few blocks away, so it'd be easy for her to be there, and and uh, they and he loved working with her, and she's Rachel's. Rachel's probably the best surfer that I've ever personally worked with that she has ability to communicate um, verbally and with body language too, but verbally she's, you can tell when something's right or it's not right. And she's able to actually communicate uh, clues as for me to interpret as to why something is wrong in a surfboard. And so she may not know exactly why, like she may not say, oh, the edge on my board is, is at 23 inches and it should be at 22. But I know that the last magic board that she's referring to, the edge on the tail went up 22 inches and I sanded the edge, taped the hot coat, made a little tape dam, and I made it at 23. Just to see, and I might not tell her, just to see what happens. And then her dad just watches, coaches her, and he's watching her surf. And I get a phone call from him, and he goes, nah, I don't know. This board's not doing it for me. And then Rachel's frustrated, and she's like, I don't I don't know why, but it catches a little bit in a turn. And so I go, oh, well, bring the board over. And so we look at it, and, and I make a little sanding block, and I go, okay, see this edge? There's a little extra material here. Let's sand this down a little bit. Take the sanding block with you when you go down to the beach. Sand a little more if need be, but let's take it back to 22 one inch literally that will be the difference between a board being magic or a board being a hang-up and to get that's valuable information and for me and and my dad taught me that because 
you know, I made a post yesterday, actually, of my dad surfing, and I mentioned in there that he didn't surf much after 1969. He he broke his talus bone in his ankle, and um, he, he, he there's a lot of scar tissue from that injury. And so, you know, I only surfed maybe half a dozen times with him growing up, and it just wasn't worth it to him. It, yeah. it put him out of work for a couple of days if he surfed. So, um, but he made thousands and thousands of shortboards. He never surfed anything less than 8.8. That was the shortest board he ever rode with right. one fin. And he made boards for world champions that had, you know, four or five whatever fins on it, you know, and board that was half the length of something that he'd ever ever ridden. So he relied on surfer's feedback. Um, obviously, he knew how boards worked in water, but he relied a lot on that. Now, I'm just a fair surfer at best. I can't validate my own craft. If I go out and I take my craft and go surfing on it, I won't sell any surfboards. <laughs> and so I don't think. So maybe to somebody in, you know, Kansas. But <laughs> I just I'm I'm not like uh Tyler Warren. Tyler Warren validates his own craft. I'm not gonna argue with it. Yeah. He makes himself a board and goes out there and rides it. He'll sell surfboards. He's an incredible surfer. Ryan Birch, another guy like that, validates his own craft. Um, you know, Jerry Lopez, he's another guy who yeah. makes his own, you know, there's, you could go down the list. Um, but then there's shapers who are, are not, um, they're not primarily surfers, they're primarily shapers. And, you know, I had a guy comment the other day on one of my posts and said, oh, it's cool to know that Terry could surf because you couldn't make a good surfboard if you can't surf good. And, and um, I think it's an important factor to consider. I think it's important to be a waterman and be, you know, know how to surf and, and, and how to catch waves and how to understand how everything works. But um, sometimes the best people for building uh, a craft are, are maybe not the, the experts on the craft. You know, I mean, if you look at the Olympics, most of the Olympians that are skiers aren't building their own skis and they're not building their own snowboards and they're relying on sled. Now those people that build that stuff rely on feedback from, from those athletes, race cars, things like that. I think that surfboards are more personal. And I think that each person puts their own flavor into a surfboard when they're the craftsman. And, um, I guess, yeah, I, it's an interesting point. The um, Olympic skiers aren't making their own skis, but I wonder if the people who made their skis are skiers. Yeah, you I know? would think so. Because it's yeah. like, and I don't know that, I agree with you, you don't need to be the best surfer to be a good shaper, but I do think it's important to at least be a surfer. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because if not for um, figuring out how the board actually responds when you're doing an air reverse or something yeah, like that, right. just being in the water and developing a passion for the sport. I yep. think the passion is then what's going to drive you in the shaping bay mm -hmm. to figure things out, yeah. you know, like, well, it's interesting. I've ridden a hot curl quite a bit and I don't know very many surfers that have ridden a hot curl. Do you do an air reverse on it? I do not do an air reverse. <laughs> hot curls are point and shoot items. Um, but, but like I, I oftentimes I find myself drawing, drawing from the experience of riding a board that, the surfer I'm making the board for has never ridden a hot curl, right. but there's elements of the hot curl design that I put in this modern surfboard that I don't even bother explaining to them. So I'm draw I'm drawing from my own experience. Um, 
and I'm, I'm adapting it for a different type of craft, you know, a different uh, surfboard. Right. So I, I think that there's, it's important to know, but like, Hey, for instance, you know, I made a surfboard for a guy today. I've never ridden a five, four fish. I don't, I, I didn't when I was a kid and I know I can't ride a five, four right now. I, I don't, well, maybe I could, I don't know. I, I'd need a boat to tell me into the wave, probably. <laughs> you could bodyboard it. <laughs> I could, yeah. I'd prone. Yeah, I don't know. But but I felt confident when that board left here that that board's going to be a good board. Yeah. That guy was pumped. Right. I told him, put it under your arm. That's the test. It is the test. When you put it under your arm, nah. If they say, yeah, it's it's yeah. So. Um, let's talk about the hot curl. You and I got kind of deep into that in the first episode we did four years ago. Mm-hmm looks like you've updated the design quite a bit since then um i had seen them in maybe video and photos prior but you let me borrow one after we, we recorded yeah, that episode right, right. and i surfed it a couple of times the most notable session was at rincon when yeah. it was like one to two feet mm-hmm. and um it was a really interesting experience it's a very different way to surf mm-hmm. than than on another board and i'll explain for listeners who aren't familiar with the design I don't remember the length of that. It was over nine feet, I think. Maybe nine and a ten half. Feet, ten, it was a ten Was it the caramel colored one? It had um, yellow on it. Oh. It was like a couple of different tones with like oh, yeah. cedar. Yeah. And you know what? That that board, <laughs> I gave you a reject. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that No, I made that board for myself. And that okay. board is actually, uh, it's hard to ride. It's really hard. Very hard. It's very difficult to ride for a hot curl. It's that board's kind of bridging the gap between a, a modern sir. It was an experiment and I learned some things. Yeah. I learned that it's not a good, it's not, it's not a good hot curl. <laughs> <laughs> when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious. And there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right. Well, for listeners, <laughs> you got the wrong hot curl. It's 10 feet long. Yeah. 
and j- a lot of belly at the bottom. It's a hull, basically. Mm-hmm, the yeah. deck is pretty flat, but the bottom is like a hull of a boat. Yeah. And um, starts rounded at the front and then comes basically to a narrower... How do you describe the tail? Like a, a lot of V, a tremendous amount of V, yeah. so much so that it almost makes a fin. There's no fins on the board. It's just the tremendous amount of V that yeah. operates kind of like a steering device. It's like a sailboat. Kind of like a yeah. boat hull. Yeah, really. it is. Yeah. It very much is. Yeah. So you it, you basically, like you said, it goes straight. It goes straight as an arrow, Yeah. but it doesn't turn at all. It's actually hard to even kick out of a wave. Sometimes yeah. you got to be really careful. Yeah, they lock in and they're they're in. Yeah, you know? they track really oh, well, yeah, but they don't yeah, turn. Yeah. But it also sits under the water because it's a hole. It kind of sits under the water and taps into the energy of the wave sure. that's below the water. Yeah. The energy that you see dolphins riding oftentimes yep. Yep. is what that's tapping into as opposed to skimming along the surface like a normal surfboard would. Yep. So it's a totally different thing. But my point was... It looks like you have updated the design a lot, and you're certainly using different materials. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about the modern hot curls that you're making? Yeah, so in an effort to make them shorter, it's not real not real popular to paddle out at lowers on a 10-foot finless board. Right. People are grumpy. Yeah. Um, and one of the guys I make boards, make hot curls for, Jeff Quam, quite a bit. Um, he really enjoys riding them. And so he has really been the, the inspiration for a lot of this. There's a few other guys too, but mostly Jeff. And he wanted to make them shorter, wanted to explore it. And so <coughs> uh, Rabbit Kakai wrote one that was seven feet long. There's some, uh, Craig Stesick wrote an article for the, for the Surface Journal. I think it was for the Surface Journal a while back and a really interesting article. And, uh, there's stories in there about rabbit riding one that was solid redwood, and I think it weighed about 50 pounds, and and it was only seven feet long, and I, I it was really narrow. I, I was I can't remember it was 17 and a half or 18 inches wide. I don't know, crazy surfboard, but guy was ripping in Hawaii on that thing. Um, you can't make a seven foot long by 17 and a half inch wide. 50 pound surfboard and expect to ride it in california except for maybe one day a year at the best break and you know i don't know yeah it's not gonna happen so so i started making them shorter and the traditional style hot curl and i started making them uh 22 inches wide and i shrunk them to seven feet and about eight ten feet's the sweet kind of sweet spot if you go to eight feet it starts getting a little bit more temperamental. Um, you go to seven feet and it starts getting really tough. The board wants to sit right in the perfect spot in the wave and you as a passenger are relegated to really behaving or it's going to be a problem. And you're, you know, so they weren't fun to ride challenge, but once you were boring after a while, you know, I mean, just one thing. So yeah, we found that the rail line length and the outline, it, you just start losing, the rail starts losing grip with the water. The hand, it doesn't want to handshake with the wave anymore. So um, what we found was if we took the design and we filleted it out, uh, it started working again. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been taking, I, I like to basically just, I used to work in the meat, meat cutting and working at wholesale seafood 
processing place and we'd flay fish and i just looked like it well i flayed out a hot curl <laughs> laid it out you know and so the rail has elements of, that a traditional one has and it still has some v down the middle it's kind of a tri-hole kind of looking thing um and jeff's loving riding them you know i made one that was eight feet long and i made one seven feet long and i just made a six and a half footer and uh that's being glassed right now and so what is the tri-hole element in it um there's v but then there's channels before the rails so the rail kind of operates as a little catch yeah you know you have to have some volume to a surfboard for catching waves and paddling it and floating and all that there needs to be some volume there or it's not going to work so i couldn't have this three-pronged fork sticking out the tail so you've got to have i don't know i'll describe it as a webbed foot okay so you've got a three-toed foot with web between them and and uh there's foam in between them and I, I, the the area between the rail and the and the center line uh i really didn't want to be the only thing i wanted it to be able to do was maybe help in lifting a little bit catching okay. a wave and paddling uh but it's i didn't want it to interrupt what was going on with the relationship between the v and down the center and the rail and so what I've done is I've just split that V in the middle and brought it out onto the rail. Um, uh, a picture would look at my Instagram. You'll see some pictures of them and you'll yeah. see that, that tri hole. But, but, but essentially I've taken parts of that V and put them out on the rail. So the planes are the same angle. What's happening is, is the board has no edges. Everything's soft. It's all water holding. There's no water release uh anywhere no hard edge so you're trying to just hold and gather as much water as possible I, a really good example of of that thing kind of neutered would be ryan uh ryan lovelace's rabbit's foot yeah so he's basically his rabbit's foot and i'm taking some liberty to pick apart his design but i've looked at him and i go wow he's really got hot curl on that one long rail of that that thing and that's why it holds there's the edges aren't what do it it's the rail shape and a lot of it starts early on up by the nose and it's friendly to the water so um i guess these are kind of like a rabbit's foot times three and all of those implements are to allow you to shorten the length or do they allow any other performance benefit they start behaving more like a regular surfboard in some ways are they turnable yeah yeah Yeah, I can't do it, but I've seen uh, I've seen Jeff. I've seen footage of Jeff, and he describes it to me. And you know, he can go out and lay out a bottom turn on the thing, and yeah. it holds. Um, I it, you know, I don't know. They're kind of a weird corner of the surfing world. They are, and um, I just kind of look at it like, well, you know, the traditional hot curl is kind of like having a stock, like. 1930s car that you take out on sunday and you drive up coast highway on these are kind of a rat rod they're sort of taking some of that old classic thing and letting people kind of do their own interpretation but you're kind of keeping the spirit of the old deal and it's kind of the rat rod um approach towards it um keeping some reverence there i think my dad would be pumped on it really yeah i think he'd be really stoked um well, he was stoked on anybody being stoked, and Jeff's stoked on it, so I'm stoked. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are? Can you tell me about some of the boards you're building for Rachel? Those are always super interesting to see. Mm-hmm. A lot of EPS longboards. Mm-hmm. Some have um, 
polyurethane foam inserts as stringers, you get a tremendous amount of flex out of them. Mm-hmm. I've seen videos of you mm-hmm. of like her holding the nose and you pushing on the tail, flexing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it is unbelievable how much flex. Yeah. Tell me about those boards. That's been an interesting thing. It's been really fun. Uh, you know, and I think, I think with, I think I put out a little bit of a misconception there. You know, people think that, oh, well, you know, you can just make a board like a noodle and it's okay. You can't. I mean, it's going to break. And I, she breaks a lot of surfboards. So, you know, there's been a lot of failure there with that. But I'm willing to be wrong and I'm willing to go out on a limb and give her the performance that she's looking for as much as I possibly can. So here's... So I take this approach as a shaper. I, with Rachel specifically, she's a, she surfs competitively. She loves to. And so, um, I feel like first and foremost, my job as a shaper is to minimize distraction for her. And that means a lot of things. It means making a surfboard that she can surf really good on naturally you know, max out her ability on a, on the board, riding it, the board will work for her. But it also means making a board that's strong. It's not going to break. So when she's out and the surf is big in a contest, um, she's not worried about, I don't want her out there sitting there in a the heat going, oh no, am I going to break my board? I want her thinking about surfing good right. and having fun. And so um, what's happened is, is over the last couple of years, We've started using, you know, so your listeners need to know what our boards are made of. They're nine feet long and they're two and a half inches thick and they got a lot of rocker. The core is 1.5 pound density EPS foam, which is junk. Well, I'm, well, I don't know if it's junk, but it's, I think it's junk. My dad thought it was junk. It's packing foam. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. not, but it turns out it's a good surfboard core material and it has certain properties about it that are, that are good and beneficial, but it's, uh, Hey, when you build a board that long and that thick and you put two layers of four ounce S cloth on the deck and only one on the bottom with epoxy you're going to snap it. Um, you know, you can make a shortboard like that and have it live for a little while, but you nine feet, no way. I mean, it doesn't take much to break it. So, but she likes that particular glassing schedule. So, and I, I don't want to discount that. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, surfers are kind of cheap by nature. There's a few guys out there that are kind of researching good stuff. I shame on me for, for, not maybe going a little bit further i just rather than blame her and say take care of your surfboards better learn how to duck dive or whatever and just put you know pass the buck i'm going no you know what i'm going to work with what i've got and i'm going to uh, no distraction let her go surf i'm going to make better surfboards so she came back from papua new guinea and she told me she says i'm frustrated because you make these rad surfboards but there's guys there that are riding thunderbolt boards and fire wires and and they don't break their boards and I thought, like, I'm at the bullseye for the surf industry, I think, here. I'm sandwiched between, you know, I'm here right by San Clemente. I mean, this is a lot of world champions that come out of here. There's a lot of man- surfboard, you know, brands here and all that. And I've got, I've got a company that's, you know, building boards over in Asia and wherever. And they're, they're not, they don't, there's not a lot of personality to those surfboards. I'm not dogging on them. They're just different than what I do. And so... 
um, they're really good. I mean, they, they don't break and they're light. And I'm going, doggone it. Rachel likes me being a hand shaper. That thing that they're doing over there doesn't fit within what uh, my box. So shame on me for not making a board that's as good as that. And so, you know, granted, I don't have a million dollar factory, but I'm going to do the best I can. So I'm going where I'm going with this is, is I thought I'm going to what are what's at my disposal here? I really want Richard Brandstrom to get in, take an interest and sponsor Rachel and Virgin Virgin Galactic or whatever Spaceport USA can build her board glasser boards. Um, because I know those guys are using better composite materials than we are as surfboard builders. Okay, sure. I'm guarantee it. So they have better funding. Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, I mean, my brand, I'm always thinking outside the box, and I'm thinking those poor guys out in Mojave. It's hot and dusty out there, and it's lame, and they're building airplanes all day long. What if I went out there with Rachel and we brought some beach to them on a Saturday and said, "Hey, look, we got this." surfboard foam blank here that i made can you guys glass it better than we can you know i bet they can yeah <laughs> so i don't i can't call up richard branstrom so i called up mickey munoz and the reason why he's my uncle and the reason why i called he's down the street i called him up because he worked on the stars and stripes boats with with dennis Connor, whatever those guys that america's cup boats and those things are there's big dollars funding yeah. those things and I know he worked with a lot of composites and epoxy and carbon fiber and all that. And Mickey and I get together at family gatherings and we'll, wow, it's really fun. I, you know, he'll probably listen to this and he'll, he'll recognize this. I, I've picked a weak spot in him. He likes to take the other side of things and he likes to argue. So I, I used it against him at a Christmas gathering, or I think it was a maybe Thanksgiving. And, and I, I kind of baited him a little bit. And I said, you know, Mickey, I keep, Rachel keeps buckling her boards. And I told him what we did with her boards and, and, uh, you know, glassing schedule. And he, and I said, look, I'm going, I'm picking out this fancy aircraft grade spruce and I'm laminating these parabolic stringers and we're stacking the grain and I'm being as scientific as I can. I'm using the best nature's you know, spring steel. And, I, and, and he just goes, ah, you're barking up the wrong tree. Stringers are useless in surfboards. The only thing they're good for is holding rocker so the shaper can keep the rocker true when he's shaping and then it doesn't sag when they're glassing it. And that's that's all they're good for. You can put as much wood in a surfboard as you want. They're hogwash on strength. And I and I and I thought, well, you know, hey, he's I'm not gonna he's eighty years old, he's lived a lot of life and he's worked on a lot of surfboards, surfed huge weight. He's got a valid point even though I disagree with him. I'm not going to discount it. So I said, well, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about, Mickey. What do you mean? I don't know what I'm talking to, you know, and I, and I got him riled and I said, all right, well, a little reverse psychology. Why don't you come over here and help me out? All right, I will, you know? <laughs> so anyway, it was really fun because he, he's usually in Mexico all winter and he's, you know, he's here for the holidays and, he came up here and Rachel and I and Mickey and I got in the shaping room and we talked about her boards and I had some broken Rachel boards here and he looked at him and he goes, well, here's your problem. You're relying on this wood and you really, you've got this packing foam EPS, which happens to be a very good core material, but your problem is your skin. The skin on the surfboard is where it's failing and surfboards are tubes. They're oval tubes and, and the, 
tube strength is in its outermost layer. And if, if you can keep the tube from collapsing, then, then that tube's going to maintain its integrity and it's not going to break or buckle. So your problem here is your skin. Everything else is phenomenal. You're a really good shaper. Hats off to you. Massive compliments on your fabulous woodworking here that's broken in two. And he threw it in the trash and goes, it's all, look, it's a failure. And, <laughs> and Rachel and I, you know, we put a lot of effort into this, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, he just threw it all out the window. Crap, what am I going to do here, you know? But no, I, hey, it's great. I said, well, then you help us build a better skin. Right. And he goes, all right. I said, here's the deal, Mickey. You're the director. He goes, I don't want a glass of board. I'm over that. I ground fiber, you know, no, I don't want to do that. And I go, no, 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 I'll be your hands. You be the brain. You be the director here. I will facilitate the build and Rachel will provide input from the surface perspective and she'll give us really good feedback. So it was a three people filling different roles into one surfboard. Well, um, he said carbon fiber. Well, there people are cranky at carbon fiber in the surf industry ah, carbon fiber it doesn't belong it's a marketing gimmick and and um you know i i have to say i kind of follow along the lines of that i think well oh, it's a bunch of nonsense it's stupid carbon fiber it doesn't have it deflects in the it's way harder than fiberglass it's like a, it's like oil and water it doesn't belong in fiberglass and i'm i just kind of wrote it off as like yeah stuff's a joke marketing gimmick um, but Mickey said, Hey, look, we used it in these boats and, and we tested it and we laminated it with different types of, of cloths and different epoxies. And we pressure tested and we put punches and did all this stuff. And it can be used in ways, if you're smart, know what it, know what it'll do and work with your craftsman and you know how to work with the material. You can actually use it to your benefit. And so I thought, well, all right, well, we'll go with it. And so he got this guy with, uh, Arion Corporation, uh, some guys into foil dynamics and all this fancy stuff. And he, Mickey called him and he's in Vegas and or out in Las Nevada somewhere and works in the aerospace industry. And they had worked together on those, those Stars and Stripes boats. And um, so they came up with a glassing schedule for Rachel's board. And they told me, uh, turns out that four ounce S glass was their preferred pick um they they wanted me to laminate each layer one layer at a time and let the resin cure wow. between each layer they wanted me using i was happened to be using um resin research uh, they weren't real picky about that what kind of epoxy they kind of felt like the epoxies that the surfboard industry is using People have done quite a bit of homework, and they're the most friendly for hand lamination. That's what I'm doing. Now, There's you start getting into resin infusion stuff and vacuum bagging, and that's a different story. But for hand laminating, they said, hey, just use the resin research stuff. So I did, and um, used to it, and, and, and they said, use some additive F in it. You follow the instructions. Follow the instructions. Don't, don't bend the rules. So I did, and I post-cured, laminated, heated my room to 85 degrees, and and then I post-cured the board at 100 degrees, which is still low, but it was the most I could get out of it without burning my house down. So um, they said that the carbon fiber needed to be 
on the outside, unprotected, outside the fiberglass. Okay. So I went, all right, I'll put it on the outside. It's a pain in the neck. What I'm telling you, what we did, I don't, I don't expect any glass shop to do this. They can't do it. They can't maintain production and do this, but this is what I was doing. So I followed their instructions, and, and um, the board had no stringer. I hand-shaped the surfboard. Two and a half inch thick EPS. You know, my the suction on my vacuum system on my planer would pick the board up off the rack. Wow. When I laminated the board, I had to build a brace uh, that held the rocker true, so it wouldn't it would keep the rocker. Um, it, I probably had, um, you know, forty to sixty hours in one this one surfboard build, and I did it over the course of a week or so. And I was down here at night and stuff, and. She took it to the ISA uh, championships in, in China, and it's, uh, well, I posted pictures of it. It's this light blue board, and it's got a unidirectional carbon fiber stringer on the bottom. Um, so the carbon fiber just runs along where the stringer would at the center? Yeah, there's six strands. Only on the bottom. Only on the bottom. Six strands. Yeah, six okay. strands. And then I, then uh, on, on the deck, I put it on the deck on the rails where her hands would typically uh, go pushing over waves. Um, a lot of the guys will will duck dive their longboards. They'll turn it on rail and shove it under the water. Um, most of the girls can't do that just because they're not as they don't weigh as much as the guys. It's mm -hmm. harder for them to do that. So you find that the girls will tend to push over waves more, and that's a problem because their hands are pushing on the rail and 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 you got this soft EPS foam underneath and epoxy and it starts getting soft there and the board starts hinging in the middle of the board and that's where they end up usually buckling in her case. Um, and without the wood in the board and just stringerless, I was able to, to put more layers of, of, um, S glass and, and the first layer soaks up some resin into the foam. But after that, you don't use very much resin because you've got these layers that are, that are impervious to the resin going through them. And so you use less and it's kind of turns out it's light. I mean, I, it's two layers of four ounce S on the bottom, two layers on the deck, alternating wide laps. The rails are capped really rad, you know, and then I and then I capped the deck with another layer of four ounce, and then uh, and then that carbon fiber. And so far, so good. She absolutely loves the board. Okay, good. Loves the flex, and she hasn't buckled it. She's had it in some pretty juicy surf, and it's been a success. So, hey, I learned some things by wow. willing to be wrong and and kind of going out there. And and I thank my uncle for for getting involved because Rachel and I had such a good time. And he told me he said. Wow, thanks for getting me involved because I mm. I don't get involved in this stuff very much anymore, and it was really fun, and uh, so I'm looking forward to doing more with them on it. Fascinating, and, yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Sorry, that was kind of a long bunch of stuff, but it, I learned a yeah. lot. Um, that, that's really good. Uh, is there any deficit or any downside to it? Like, obviously, what you gain in strength, do you lose? You might lose in. I don't know, flex or performance or turning or anything like that. Has she noted any negative? Um, in her particular case, it's all been positive. Great. So, um, so far, so good. Okay. Now, good. now that being said, I'm already thinking about new things that we can do because that's what I'm doing. But, yeah. but you know, you get another surfer to get on that board and they go, this board's terrible. You know, they, it, it's, that's the thing. You know, surfers are they prefer different materials and 
and their boards be made out of different things. The one big downside of it is it's tremendously labor intensive to right. do. And but I'm in a unique situation where I love to have her here involved. She's close. We have a great time together. Yeah. You know, we get we get foam dust in her eye, you know, and laugh about it. And she comes over. She knows when I'm laminating a board. And she'll come over here when I. She knows when I'm not home. She'll purposely stick her finger in the resin to see if it's dry and it's sticky and leave a fingerprint. And That's funny. I'll leave a beard hair under the glass too, <laughs> just to tassel her. <laughs> I was going to say it is labor intensive, but you're the guy who likes to do it. You, like that's your mo you know so it's all good yeah and you know what i don't i don't put the stuff out there to to like put it out there thinking that other people should do what i'm doing of course i don't I'm not doing it that way uh, uh, what i'm doing is i'm just putting out my experience and hopefully it inspires people so to maybe try what i'm doing or do what i do and explore yeah. and and i would i would like to see the u.s surfboard manufacturers Personally, I'd like to see them take more pride in their work. I'd like to see them not cutting corners. I'd like to see them building a better product. There's so much emphasis on, you know, green, eco-friendly surfboard stuff, you know. And I don't know. I'm a big proponent of that stuff. But if it if, if you've got a really green, eco-friendly board and it breaks, it ends up in the landfill. It's not really, yeah. it's true, it's not recyclable. I mean, I don't right. care what anybody says. You mix a bunch of epoxy together and fiberglass put it with eps it it's it's not realistic that that it's all getting well, recycled I mean, you can I, you, know, you can say objectively the eps is recyclable yeah but you're right it doesn't end up being recycled it most of it doesn't nobody's so, going to strip off no, the glass and then recycle much, the phone yeah. i mean it's what you know what he yeah it's not going to happen so so, you know, I, I want to be I want to be sensitive. I want to build as friendly to the environment surfboard as I can. But, you know, I have to factor in how long is a surfboard going to last? And if it lasts for I have surfboards that I have still have when I was a kid and I yeah. still ride them and they were built really well. That's an eco friendly surfboard. Yeah, <laughs> so. I agree. I mean, honestly, that that's a conversation that I'm going to be having a lot more of on the yeah, show or yeah. a theme. Yeah, yeah. That we're going to tap into a lot more because. The idea, sustainability, quote unquote. Yeah, that's there's the word. so yeah. much greenwashing with that word. You know, ah, where I like that. That's a new one. Yeah. Okay. It, well, it's not my word, yeah. but it's it's true though. Like yeah. it, you can say that it is sustain. Nobody, I think, knows all of the environmental impact involved in yeah. board manufacturing, and yeah. so there's a lot of responsibility and business practices. Let's say that actually serve serve sustainability more yeah that aren't definable as being sustainable mm -hmm. but just you know a responsible business practice means that you do x y and z and that's better for the environment as a whole or whatever yeah. um so it's a it's a tricky tricky thing but definitely sure. worth exploring more yeah speaking of which you are also very well known for upcycling Mm -hmm. For taking a bunch of surfboard building scrap and making other material out of it. Mm -hmm. You've got an Instagram account dedicated to it called Martin's Makings. Yeah. Um, I saw chunks of resin out there that yep. I'm sure are set aside for a project. Yep. Tell me about Martin's Making and what's the objective with that and what are you making and what's the response been? Um, well, gosh, I started with my dad. I mean, I'd growing up ever since I can remember, my dad was always making stuff out of resin or 
he made my mom knitting needles out of, we'd go out to the desert and we'd go out on a lizard catching trip, you know, and camping and, and we'd, that's, we'd go do stuff like that. We'd go catch, hey, let's go out for the weekend and see how many different species of lizards we could catch, you know, just because I was into it, you know, and I'm a kid in grammar school and, and it was just part of the, one of the neat things about my, he never caught lizards before, I don't right. think, you know, but because his son was into it, he'd be into it. And so it was cool. It was rad. We'd go out there and do that. But he'd cut some ironwood, you know, I, you know, I don't think you can do that anymore, but maybe you couldn't then. I don't know, but he would. And, <laughs> and, um, he would hand carve these neat knitting needles for my mom. And the, the ironwood was self lubricating and smooth. And it was just a joy to work with. And he got enjoyment seeing my mom knit with those knitting needles. And, um, I, there was so much cool, neat memory just in those needles he made. There was a camping trip. There was using something that was free in nature that was dead. He didn't cut live wood. It was stuff we cut in the old dead tree, you know. And then my mom stoked, and he was stoked to be able to create. I don't know. I just grew up in that environment. Yeah. So um, I remember he... I remember him making, my mom had shirts. She would sew shirts, Hawaiian shirts. And I remember they made some buttons out of old resin stir sticks that, you know, you'd, you'd take the stir back. This was before they used tongue depressors to mix resin with. They would just use the offcuts down at the Hobie surfboard factory of stringers. And there'd be these spruce square sticks and they'd use them for stir sticks to mix resin and right. they'd, they'd mix the pigment in and, and so, um, you know, I remember as a kid watching Ronald Patterson down there mixing, you know, uh, a bucket of resin. And he'd catalyze it. And then he'd gone over to Thrifty's and picked up a, out of the trash a waxed Thrifty's ice cream container from the service counter. It was, it was convenient to use because it had wax in it and then the resin wouldn't leak out of the container. So it would contain it all just so that he could reuse the stick because why not reuse the stick right you know so um it would take him 10 minutes or 15 minutes to laminate a board and then by that time the resin stir stick had had catalyzed enough the resin on it that he could go over there and pick that up and it wouldn't contaminate the next batch it had, right. and so he could reuse it well it built up like rings on a tree growth rings of these different colors of resin and it was all pure laminating resin, no uh, hot coating resin, so it didn't have wax in it or any contamination. And then they'd sit around and that stuff shrinks and that whole thing would get tight and really hard. And uh, my dad saved a few of them out of the trash. And yeah, surfers being surfers and creators and whatever, they'd cut them like a carrot, little chunks, and polish them and make buttons for shirts. And um, God, I just thought that was the raddest thing, these little colored yeah. pieces of, of of the surfboard manufacturing process and so then if uh i don't know a few years back i heard about fordite fordite is a is a um, man-made mineral if you for lack of a better term and and it what it was it came from the from back when they used to hand spray cars uh, car parts body parts in the in detroit and michigan and 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 so you'd have these guys back there with spray booths and and then they'd put the the wet car part with paint on it in an oven and bake it 
Well, the racks, these trolley rack things that they would put these car parts on, they got sprayed with paint too. So these racks would get built up with all this baked on car paint, enamel stuff, these layers and layers and layers of color. Well, some of those guys back there salvaged some of that out of the trash and then didn't know what to do with it. And years later, it's all really cured and awesome. And they they started making little ring, you know, pieces of jewelry with these colored deals. And anyway, they coined the name Fordite. And then somebody came up with Surfite. And that's what the, you know, the stuff you see on the floor in surfboard factories, you know, uh, they break that up. And that stuff is okay, but, you know, you end up with razor blades and, and peanut shells in it. Yeah. And somebody's chewing tobacco and whatever. And there's, there's, it's contaminated with a bunch of junk in it. So, yeah. You know, I have, I still have some old vintage stuff from, from those, those days when it was just, uh, from stir sticks, you know, and then I've, I've collected, um, some over the years from different glass shops and stuff. And a little bit goes a long way. I can make all kinds of cool stuff with it. It's super cool looking. Obviously with resin specifically, you're doing shifter knobs, fin keys, um, chopsticks. Yeah. What else are you doing either with the resin or with other materials? Um, I, I got a couple of knives from you. Yeah, some Those knives. Those are amazing. Yeah. That's, and the knives are made out of wood, scrap wood. Yeah, yeah. So I got some pieces of ebony from uh, a friend of mine works at Taylor Guitars. And, and sometimes they, they have these scrap pieces of ebony for like fretboards and things like okay. that that they can't use. They might have some cracks in it or something like that. So those guys, same thing. They don't want to waste anything down there. And so um, a couple of the guys go through their scrap bin down there and uh, one of them gave me some pieces of ebony and I, and I and i was like what do i do with this really thin stuff and i thought ah it'd be really fun to make a like a, a like a soft cheese spreader knife or something out of that you know and i've made a couple with resin handles and then i've got some little chunks of koa and little pieces like i somebody would give me some fancy wood i'd make some fins or something i'd have this off cut and i go gosh i don't want to throw this away it's beautiful and so i'll figure something out to make with it i've I've made some tops so people have wanted me to make tops and add it with resin and wood and and i thought i can't do that i don't have a lathe and i thought "Ah, you know what what about before lathes people can make tops and i'll figure it out so i use my makita cordless drill (laughs) and it's just it's probably the worst way you could go about making a top but the challenge of making a perfectly a top that just spins perfect out of resin by hand without a lathe it's a challenge and then when i get it done with it i don't know the one the best one i ever made people want to buy it i was like i don't even know how i could sell this because right. I, I so i gave it to my mom she loves it really <laughs> so, you know and um there's there's a lot of things i'm making shift knobs and you know i probably sold as much i probably made as much money selling shift knobs last year as i did making surfboards did you really <laughs> Yeah, my wife. We set up a, an Etsy account, and it's it's classic. I've I've been doing a bunch of cool stuff like that. And you know what? All this stuff that I'm doing, I didn't invent it. Nothing's new. No, yeah. no. People were doing this for years. Yeah. I, I, it's just people forget, and then it just gets reintroduced. I could think of a ton of different things that we've made in the past that has kind of been out of sight for a little while, and yeah. you bring it back, and it's like, where'd this come from? And, right, right, right. That's We'll take a little break from Josh for a moment. He's got some of his best stuff still to come, but let's catch up with Spy and Alex Gray real quick. If you remember at the beginning, Alex was telling us about the very first wave he ever rode, and considering that Josh Martin is a board builder, 
I asked Alex to tell us about that first board he ever rode as well. My dad had this big foam. It was only foam. It wasn't didn't have any encasing of plastic or anything. It was just foam with a big green plastic fin, and it sat in the corner of our garage. When I told my dad I'd like to go surfing, he's like, oh, I got a board. It was so heavy, like, I couldn't carry it. He had to carry the thing down. Where I grew up, it's just shore break. There's no length of ride there. And there's no easy in or out. So the first half an hour was total disaster. I was just getting rolled around. It was so tough and frustrating. I just, I thought I was going to be out ripping. And I didn't even come close. I didn't make it past knee-high surf. But there was one wave that was a whitewater that probably lasted all of three seconds until I dry-docked it on the sand. And I I just had never felt anything so powerful before. Hmm. You know, this feeling of euphoria came over my body. And I looked at my head and I'm like, can we go again? Let's go again. You know, it was just a snap of the fingers in three seconds that... Shoot, it it apparently planned out the rest of my life. (laughs) Alex and this show are supported by Spy. Make sure to check out their Happy Lens technology, which lets the good light in and keeps the bad light out. Learn more and see happy at spyoptic.com. Use the promo code podcast and you'll get our Surf Splendor sunglass baggie. It's the first merchandise we've ever printed, so don't miss out on that limited edition. And then throw a t-shirt in your cart, whichever one you like on their website, and that promo code podcast will zero out the cost of the t-shirt and you'll get it for free. So you can grab shades, you can grab snow goggles, whatever you need, all on spyoptic.com. Use the promo code podcast and see happy. I talked about you living a pretty idyllic lifestyle, Mm -hmm. craftsman, artisan, tinkerer around all these different projects that you enjoy and then of course engaging with the general public through social media um what would you change about your current position yeah nothing (laughs) i'm i'm having so much fun i mean well i shouldn't say nothing i mean my garage is a mess i would probably go clean my garage okay i'm not good at that kind of thing i mean i I probably would do a better job on my taxes or something. I don't know. Keep my CPA happier. I mean, yeah. I there's plenty of... Look, I just live life and I'm human. So there's there's things that are... Uh, I go through anything. You know, people might think, oh, the guy lives the life of Riley. You know what? I live week to week. I don't have much of a savings account. Um, you know, I fortunately, I, I own my own house and... Um, well, I have a mortgage, but my mortgage is low enough that I'm able to, to, I've made some good decisions in the past and, and, and lived some life right enough to allow me to live the way I do now. And I'm grateful for that. I've also, um, I'm also in the place where I am now, uh, in a lot of ways, be probably as much or more so because of mistakes I've made in the past. Mm -hmm. And so you know, there's been a lot of things. I, I'm one of those, you know, I'll use, I'll use my wife and my kids as an example because they're my family. So my wife is one of those kind of people that you tell her a rule and she'll follow it. I'm the kind of person that wants to understand why the rule was made. And I have another daughter who, my oldest daughter, she's also that way. She, You pretty much tell her the rule and she'll follow that. Well, my youngest daughter, she's just like me. And so she's in school in Arizona right now. And, and uh, 
gosh, the, the kid's classic. She drives this 1982 Volkswagen diesel rabbit stick. No power. I mean, it is just, I don't know how many thousand miles are on the thing. And it's the worst car you could probably pick to drive and commute. And the girl drives it like it's a 2018 Prius up and commutes. She's driving everywhere in this thing. She's in Arizona. Oh, dad, I'm just going to drive out to Prescott, Arizona, you know, and it's, you know, I'm, if you look under the hood, half the parts holding brackets and things are stuff we made out of wood. Really? Uh, yeah. And so anyway, where am I going with this? I'm going with in, in, in that my wife thought it was probably not a good idea that she drove this car back and forth to school in Arizona. And I, I, uh, she says, you need it as your, as a, her father, you probably should tell her advise her that this is a good decision not to not you just don't drive your car out there and so uh you need to get a different car and i i thought about it and i i thought you know what i'm gonna kind of stuff her her style if i just tell her this is not a good she calls the name carlito she named it and stuff <laughs> and i've made resin shift knob for it and i mean she it's she loves it yeah. so I'm not going to stuff her style. Can't take you know? Carlito away. No, Carly. She loves Carlito, and so you know it creates its own weather system in the morning with this foghorn. They turn the foghorn on at Dana Point when she fires it up in Amazing. the morning because it's smoke coming out of the diesel. Anyway, <laughs> I thought you know, um, you've heard the term. There's some people that just have to learn the hard way. Yeah. And I think that that's. Um, most often associated with a kind of a negative connotation that person and people shake their head shame i'm doing it right now that guy has to learn the hard way and this this light went off in my head one day and how do i deal with jasmine you know she's just like me and i just wanted to argue the point that it's not the hard way and you know what it's not the, it's just the way we learn it's how we learn. And so I learned from, from mistakes and, and getting things wrong and pain. And, uh, and then I, I won't do it. So I'm not saying that, that she, she's learning a lesson in the car, but she probably has. And she's out there with my truck driving my 1989 Dodge one-ton D350 Cummins diesel pickup around out there. And uh, probably having to shoo the guys away. And... Uh, kind of would like to see her with a rifle and uh, yeah no, no anyway <laughs> um bring it back to instagram who are some of your favorite accounts to follow there's a guy back east uh pressler wood shop trent pressler ah oh, guy really inspires me um i don't know a lot about him but i do know that his father passed away uh around the time mine did and he inherited, I think, a bunch of tools of his dad's. And his dad was a real good woodworker. And I, I don't know that Trent, I, he probably had some experience with his dad, working with his dad. I don't know. I don't know his story. But what I do know about him is I know that he, I think, is like the CEO of a winery back there, like a really old, well-known winery. I think that they supply the White House with, they're like the official winery wow. of the White House. And he runs that. I, I don't know what his capacity is, if he started it or what, but he's, he's I think he's got a PhD. Uh, he's well-educated. Uh, he's got a lot of different things he does, and, but one of the things he does, he builds canoes. And he started doing it after his dad passed away. The guy builds the most incredible canoes. 
Um, I love following him. He shows a lot. He's similar to me in that he shows a lot of the process, and I love that. And then he recently bought a house and remodeled it, and he just showed the process of going through this remodel. And he's doing. He's always trying new things, and I love that. It's really. Uh, I love following his account. There's a. Um, there's a few guys back east that that uh, have these old. Um, I've always loved Jeeps. Um, because I've always, I've just got good memories in Jeeps, you know, and, they, and they're, they're a tool to use to get to some neat destination that then you might hike from or something, you know, and you get to bring a few amenities with you, your camp stove, and you get to cook a ribeye steak out on the fire. And it's a little bit more comfortable than backpacking, but which I love, but uh, it helps me get to my destination. And so these guys are, are, they, they use their old World War II military Jeeps, flat fender Jeeps, uh, one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to get one. I've, I've had some Jeeps in the past, but I don't have one right now. And, and, uh, I've been, anyway, I've been following these guys. I'm making some shift knobs for them and stuff. And wow. I just appreciate the fact that they leave well enough alone. Some, I think one of these guys that I follow, this guy, Mike Gardner, he's just got this beautiful old vintage Jeep and it, to him, the rust is as pretty as the paint, you yeah. know? And so he just kind of keeps it and use it. He drives it every day. And I, and I think, ah, oh, it's just an appreciation for that. It was well-designed. A lot of people want to modify their stuff. Those things, they won the war, man. They were good. They were well-designed and just leave it well enough alone. Yeah. And uh, the transmission doesn't have synchros. So when you shift, you got to match the RPMs with the gears. And and uh, I, synchros are for lazy people. I want to ma- listen to the motor and I want to match the RPMs. You know, if you get it wrong, it's going to break. So. Yeah. <laughs> match or mash. Yeah, match way. or mash. Um, um, yeah. Who, so. who are young board builders that you are excited to see come up michael aaron comes to right to mind right now um he he's really an inspiration to me because um he's a guy who uh has really stuck to his guns um and he wants to hand shape surfboards but you know i had the privilege of growing up prior and learning how to shape prior just prior to the advent of cnc machine pre-shapes and all that so i got it i got the chance to do production shaping before that occurred uh michael didn't didn't have that option and it's really expensive to figure out how to learn how to hand shape because you got to buy blanks and you got to glass boards you just have to get boards under your belt in order to do it and that guy's been persistent and um, I, I just recently talked to him and he wants to build a balsa wood board. I'm like, oh, wow, this is rad. You know, here's the next generation who's, who's carrying on in a way and he loves it. He really enjoys it. So he's, he's a guy who really inspires me. Um, my nephew, Sean Bailey, uh, he's a real inspiration too, because, um, he didn't even start learning to, he, you know, my brother was a professional motocross racer. And so he grew up in a motorcycle world and, and Sean was, was riding motorcycles and, and he was good, but you know, his dad is paralyzed, uh, from the chest down. And, and so, you know, granted, you know, there's danger there. I'm sure his dad was cringing every time Sean would go out and ride. And Sean, I think early, he just, at some point in time, he decided it's not worth crashing. I keep hurting myself. Plus he'd gotten into surfing and he thought, I was surfing is much more conducive to keeping at it and not getting hurt. So he wanted to carry on in the footsteps of my dad and his grandpa and, and, uh, and Sean, 
my dad worked with Sean quite a bit. And Sean's one of those guys that um, I don't think it came, like it came real natural quick for me to work with my hands. I don't, I think the learning curve was a little, little, took a little more for Sean. Um, but he's been persistent in it and he's been unafraid to ask and ask help. So he's, he's enlisted the help of, of my uncle John Cherry and he's worked with him and he's, he's worked at Hobie's and, and, uh, he's, he's not, uh, he's not ashamed or doesn't put, he doesn't put himself above finishing pre-shapes. I told him, I said, get as much of those under your belt as you can, because what's going to happen is you're going to learn how a, a rail feels in your hand. And so when then you get back to the, the, your first love and hand shaping, you're really going to know what you're aiming for. And, yeah. and so he got it. What's really neat with him is, is uh, I told him, I said, go down to, I don't know how much time we have, but I could tell a little bit of a connection with... I got 10 minutes left. Okay. So I'll just make this part of it quick. My dad went to Hobie's in 1962, and he they didn't know him. And he walked in there and said, Mr. Alter, uh, I I shape surfboards, and I want to work for you. They were the biggest company known at the time. And Hobie says, "Who, who let you in here? Who are... I don't know you. Out. I'm busy. And my dad went, okay. And he came back next week. And he just, he saw the little chain that was said employees only. And he just undid it and walked back there like he knew what he was doing. He went back and found Hobie again and said, Mr. Alter, um, it's Terry again. And finally, Hobie said, you know what? Um, I don't know. I kept turning him away or something. But then then my dad heard about uh, one of the shapers, main shapers quit. And my dad was in the Air Force Reserve at the time. And he was back in Georgia or something, Florida, and, and on an active weekend or something. And he heard this guy quit. And so he went to the payphone, got on the payphone, called the operator, information, asked for Hobie Alter in South Laguna. And they patched him through. And it was Hobie Alter's house. And his wife, Sharon, answered the phone. My dad forgot about the time difference. It was like five in the morning here, and she answered the phone. Hello, uh, uh, yeah, is Mister Alter there? And she says, uh, Yeah, just a moment, Hobie, some man for you. And my dad said he got on the phone and goes, Yeah, cool. It's five in the morning. Who is this? Oh, uh, Mister Alter, it's 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 Terry Martin. I understand so and so just quit, and I I'd like to apply for the position. And Hobie just you know, oh my gosh, this guy's not going to leave me alone. And so my dad was really persistent with him. Wow. I tell you that story because I had related to that to Sean, and I said, you know what? One of the guys that I admire most in the surf industry right now, from a business standpoint and running a business, is Matt Calvani with Bing. Um, Matt is not Bing copeland right he's matt who's he's an incredible surfboard shaper but he's kind of a behind the scenes guy and it's all about the brand and it's i love it it's yeah. it, the guy just does this incredible i mean they're thr- well i don't know he might argue with me but i mean I, from my perspective bing has been a thriving brand the last few years they do things really beautiful their they boards do. are beautiful just because of great business and and um I told him, I told Sean, I says, go, you live down there, go find Matt and ask him for a job, you know? And so he, I think he got shut down a couple of times. And, and, uh, I saw Matt at the boardroom show 
a couple years ago, and Matt said, "Oh, hey, thanks for thanks for turning me on to sh that guy's awesome." And so here's Sean now been taken under the wing of somebody who really is running a really good business uh, in the surfboard business. And what's really neat is, uh, and I don't I don't think I'm blowing uh, Matt's cover in saying this, um, but they rely on the CNC machine to do a lot of pre shapes for the whether it's Bing or yeah. some of the other and and so I don't think that's a secret no, that I'm, I'm letting that out and and so um you know and 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 for the record Matt he won the uh the when they honored my dad at the boardroom show for the shape off Matt won yeah Matt is an incredible hand shaper so there's nothing I'm not talking down no, he and I all. Matt and I talked about it on this show yeah okay he broke it down so I just want to be careful not to of course you know, no of course dog on I'm not and so but I did tell Sean I said hey look Matt knows how to use these computer programs I don't know how to use them and I think it's really valuable to know this stuff I joke about not knowing how many leaders are in a board. Well, it's because it's a machine c computer number that spits right. out. I don't know how many leaders a board is. I have a clue. Right. But I said, hey, look, this is a new world, and I think it's important to be well-rounded. And to be well a well-rounded surfboard shaper, I think it's important to know what's current. And so Sean's down there operating a CNC machine. He's He's operating the computer programs. He's learning all that stuff. He's got a guy who's a master hand shaper. Sean hand shapes surfboards. That guy's getting a more rounded yeah. education than I am. So anyway, I, that's awesome. a, kind of a really long story. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mentioned to you that my meeting after this is uh, my dermatology appointment. Yep. Because skin cancer screening, Josh, is something that is very important to all of us surfers who spend a lot of time in the sun. Definitely. When was your last appointment? When did you yeah. last get screened? Should um, I go talk to Heather? Uh, I think I'm due back in. Um, I think, yeah, exactly. So no, I'm. I've been going uh, regularly. Okay. Uh, yeah, my sister actually goes uh, after my because I mean a lot of most people know my dad passed away from melanoma, and um, so I'm fair skinned, got some Irish blood in me. Uh, I don't tan. I just get burnt. And uh, when I was a young guy, I had a mole taken off my leg, and they said it was pre-melanoma or whatever. So I do go regularly uh, to Dr. Uh, I, I call her Dr. Norma. Her last name, I can't pronounce it. It starts K something. Um, she's great. She's a Mission Viejo, and uh, there's some history there with, with my family. But um, I had two, you know, last time I went in there, um, she looks me over, and I thought I had some stuff on me that needed to be looked at, and she just grazed over that stuff. Nah, don't worry about that, and don't hmm. worry about this. Um, but this concerns me, and she's looking under my left armpit, and she goes, I don't like to look at this mole, and it doesn't see the sun. I don't go out and lay out and right. put my arms over my head in the sun, so ever. I don't lay in the sun, but but uh, she didn't like that. And so then she's looking around, and, you know, it's kind of, awkward and she finds another one under my right arm she says i don't like the look of this one either and i went okay well what do you want to do she goes i want to take them out not off but out not burn them off but you know freeze cut. them or whatever but cut them and i went oh okay and being typical me i just go well let's schedule it you know and i want to get to get it all or nothing let's just do it so i had both arms over my head they cut both of them out of each armpit and i thought i was going to go back to work and uh oh man i was grumpy a couple of weeks of shaping so um yeah uncomfortable yeah 
And they tested them, I assume? Yeah, and they were okay. Cool. Yeah, she said that they had some whatever little precursors of yeah. whatever they want to do. But, uh, hey, you know, it's important. It's, Absolutely. You know, yeah. my, my dad, uh, you know, he would be the first one today to say, yeah, you know, I probably should have gone in and had this looked at. Because he had looked at it and didn't want to deal with it. He's like I am. I don't want to go to the doctor. I like to be in control of things. And, we're all that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it's a male thing more yeah. so, but uh, we are that way. The The shame of it is, is skin cancer, it's detectable and completely avoidable with early detection, you yeah. know? So just go get screened. Yep. Take care of it, yep. you know? Yep. Um, two final questions. Number one, which surfer would you like to work with as a shaper? Hmm. I already have some really good ones. I think I would like if um, probably Felipe. Felipe Toledo. Yeah, I did not see that coming. I say that from the I I and and that's not saying I want to wreck any kind of anything going on with him and Marcio at Sharp Eye because obviously they've got a successful combination of stuff going on. But I love Felipe's. Obviously, the guy's really serious about his surfing, but yet on the other hand, the guy is just throws it out there. He'll just go have fun. I don't really know anyone else who would have done what he did at Jeffrey's Bay. That was abs. I I was I watched it here in my shaping room, and I just sat down on the floor and just started laughing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is just rad. I I think he's he's so talented on a surfboard. He's got so much natural God gift gifted talent to to ride a surfboard that it's just it's crazy. Um, where I think that there's, you know, and I, I mean, I could get some flack for this. I'm just going to say it. I think that there's room for improvement in his surfboards. And the reason why I say that is, is I could be wrong, but I don't think that, that Marcio has the time um, to go, you know, hand select maybe he does but i don't i think that there's material improvement just like what i'm doing with rachel right and getting out there and experiencing it's a takes a bunch of time and so i would say i wouldn't necessarily i would relish the opportunity to work with marcio in building blanks maybe say for felipe like i don't necessarily want to get in metal in the shaping part of it because i think they're doing a good job already um but as maybe a partner and and maybe maybe there's hey look if the guy can get just a little bit more spring out of his board a little bit more energy transfer gosh imagine what he'd be doing i mean he might be going three feet higher i mean yeah. john might have to step down from his <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know anyway that would be a fun thing to do i i can i can i say one other one too? yeah i would love to work with somebody like uh rusty long I believe that there's room for the hot curl design to be relevant today and probably more so anywhere than anywhere would be in the big wave deal. Yeah. And I think it's going to take somebody who is qualified, doesn't maybe have pressure from a big sponsorship and kind of expectations and things like that, but just does it for the love of it. Yeah. 
um, that would be willing to take a say a 12 foot hot curl maybe it's balsa wood properly shaped I say 12 feet because of the paddle power uh, maybe it's 14 but I've had experience making them when working with Jeff on it I think that you could go out to Mavericks and I think you could paddle out 50 to 80 yards further than anyone else and deeper I think you could take off get lined up and trimming securely you'd have to obviously you'd have to go out and tell you have to have a guy willing to do it and i think somebody like him would be i think you'd see some really beautiful surfing that would happen um i think that's where the design got lost a little bit and i think it's relevant today and i think that when i watch big wave sir and i'm not speaking from experience but just when i watch i think oftentimes i see fins getting in the way too much mm -hmm. people are trying to compensate for bad fin design i think if you could dial the fin design in better you'd see some better surfing but that's hard to do it's hard to practice it takes yeah. a lot of money a lot of time and a lot of guts oh so. yeah that's the other thing you're in depth defying ways yeah so. so i i i mean i just say i would be really fun to work with one of these guys that would be willing to take a hot curl out and do that i'm not going to do it <laughs> <laughs> right i'll make them um well you know the final question which is what was the last surfboard that you rode uh there was a guy that i made a board for lives in fresno believe it or not uh he travels to baja a lot i made him a board and he gave me a board last year that my dad had made for him Whoa. and about 10 years ago roger hines glassed it. it was when roger had a shop a glassing operation at hobie's um the he told me the story my dad in classic my dad he didn't sign it um but it's a it's a hobie vintage shape that uh, my dad is the original vintage that he had he had designed and glass on fin roger glassed it and that has been my favorite board to surf and it was about a month ago and it was down here at doheny and it was about a knee-high day and i went out and caught three waves and it, it was just this wonderful gliding experience and the water was freezing cold and and yeah, it was great you know wow, what a great find man yeah it's been really neat so it's uh there hasn't been much surf lately i know i was going to take the hot curl out early on this week i have that down it's actually in my entry right now and uh i had another it was a little photo shoot we did the other day we pulled it down I went, oh, i'm gonna go take that thing for a couple of rough spins you know so yeah. awesome josh well yeah. thank you yep good to reconnect awesome thanks for having me you're welcome Christian. See your papa, tell him I love him He taught me to love in the wild and fight in the gym He taught me the bottle gives birth to the cup And you won't get hurt if you just keep your hands up Thank you, Josh Martin. Everything that we discussed is viewable on surfsplendorpodcast.com. The Jeep Instagram accounts, that aerospace engineered surfboard that Josh built for Rachel Tilly, the modern tri-hole hot curl, all of his upcycled surfite, and you can also check out this really awesome portrait that 
uh, artist Mroka did for Josh. It's a gem. I've posted it all on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, some of that stuff will be on social media at surfsplendor. And then thank you and a huge shout out to Spy and Alex Gray. Spyoptic.com. The promo code, of course, is podcast. You will get a free Surf Splendor sunglass baggie and it'll zero out the cost of a t-shirt when you throw that in your cart as well. So take advantage of those freebies. Great value for you. And then Spy will keep supporting us and allow us to pump out more content. So everybody wins. And then just another reminder that The Grit with Chaz Smith has migrated over onto its own podcast feed. So you'll need to subscribe to that show. In addition to this show, just pull up your podcast app, search for The Grit. And you might need to add my name or Chaz's name, but you'll find it. And then, of course, I'm doing another debate next week, this time between Chaz and Devin Howard. So remember that discussion that we had about the egg surfboard design? Devin is a huge proponent. Chaz thinks it's the lamest thing ever. We're going to make Chaz defend that point, and we'll break it all down on air. I'll wrangle them a little more tightly this time around, though. So uh, don't miss that episode. you got to subscribe to The Grit to get it. And then if you enjoyed this episode with Josh Martin, please share it with friends. I fully believe that there are plenty of people out there who would love to hear this conversation with Josh, but they don't know that it exists. So let's get them to it. Spread the word. Good old-fashioned word of mouth. Or do it in a new-fashioned way by posting it on social media so that other people can see it. Thank you for doing that. And then I'll be back next week with an all-new episode uh, with... A WSL sometimes commentator and a South African surf industry entrepreneur, Giggs Sellier. Really great conversation I had with him about his relationship with the WSL, how commentating there works, and then lots of great interesting business insights from him about running surf shops in South Africa, working with local pro surfers there like Michael February, who's now on the world tour. Just all sorts of great insight from outside of my little Southern California surf bubble with um, Gig Sellier. So look forward to that next week. And then this is David Scales signing off for Surf Splendor and just reminding you that until next week, get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on. Oh